we were gone for quite a while. But no matter what happens next, the galaxy still needs its guardians. Hello, we come in peace. On, Drax. Seriously, dude? No, dude, no, no! Ow! <laughs> hey! Sometimes just, you know, getting set up is its own act of, you know, saving the galaxy. I agree. And with that, welcome! To the wages of cinema. Yes. <laughs> I should have said that. But... I'm Andrew. Andrew's back. Welcome, Andrew. Woo! The podcast is good again. <laughs> Death Star Matt is also here. Ahoy hoy. Death Star Matt and Trash Panda Cory. Trash Panda Cory. And Jack. We were, we. I don't have any names. No, we christened you Bagel Jack last time. Oh, right. Oh, was that like in our. Like the famous uh, movie about hippies, Bagel Jack. No, wait, wasn't that from like when we did the best of episode? Could be. I don't remember Because I thought how... maybe it had to do with talking about everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, that's probably it. So we christened you Bagel Jack. Uh, yeah. Not quite the everything bagel. I'm, I'm fine with sesame. But we're getting off topic. The, the point is we're here to talk about the new Marvel Guardians movie. And this is number... I've lost count. I don't know how many movies there we are in now. Uh, this is the third Guardians of the Galaxy this is, movie. This is the third official Guardians movie. I like. I've lost count of how many times they've appeared. They've had, you know, two Avengers movies. They popped up uh, in Thor: Love and Thunder. They had a holiday special. They, you know, appeared in an airline ad. I might have made one of those up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, the thought I had throughout this movie is these are, for me, like, the most uh, consistent films in, uh, as far as the kind of subset, like, you know, universes within the Marvel universe, sub-unit, whatever you call the it. The sub-franchise. The sub-franchise. I would say by this point, the Guardians of the Galaxy are the, mo- are the heroes that we most identify from their MCU appearances. Yeah, well, when you say that, you mean you identify them movies. as you you identify them as being specifically Marvel movies. I think so. Like everybody uh-huh. every other hero I think we've seen so far has their presence elsewhere. The Guardians have their own comics of course and, and things, but it's just like I think the movies have really made the Guardians of the Galaxy into what they are. They were obscure characters. I was listening to a podcast and one of the hosts on it has spent the last few years writing a book about the production of the Marvel movies. And she said that, obviously, she interviewed a ton of people involved with Marvel. And she said that a lot of people actually within the MCU think that the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie was the most important movie in the entire series from a brand management perspective. Because the fact that they were able to pluck these obscure characters that no one had heard of before and turn it into, like, a mega hit, that's when the people at the MCU knew, like, we're golden. We can do anything we want. Forever. Yeah. And and, And they were proved right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think... And they were proved right again with with this third movie, which I think is... uh, a top tier example of what Marvel Studios can do, in particular, 
you know, having a filmmaker with their own vision and stamp come in to, you know, make to have their group of characters and know what to do with them. And which is amazing given how many times we've now had, you know, this group of characters. We've, we, you know, we've already had Star-Lord and, you know, Gamora and Drax and Rocket and all these people, but he did it again. Good night, everybody. Yeah, this movie, <laughs> so you wanted, let's, per usual, briefly say what we thought of this movie. I thought this movie was awesome. Two thumbs way up. Matt? Yeah, I liked it a lot. It had, like, everything going with it. It was just, like, James Gunn shooting the works and saying, this is my last Marvel movie, and I'm going to put every damn thing possible into it with lots of love. Would you say he had bazookas out? Yes. <laughs> I thought guns out would be too on the nose. You should have gone with guns out. You overcomplicated. <laughs> I, I was overcomplicating it. I do that. Andrew. This, this is a really good movie. It is... There's a lot in it. There, the, Oh, there and is. in a way, that's good because you kind of get to the end of the movie and you're like, man, wasn't there a part where we were in a in a space station? And wasn't <laughs> there a part where we were worried about an arrow? But And, and wasn't and, there a part where we were like, in kind of like an animal prison of the secret of Nim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a lot in it. I would de- I would say that not everything that's in it has to be in it. Mm. I think it's a little overstuffed at times. That said, for an overstuffed movie, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I it, think it's it, it's it, it's excess is not necessarily a sin. It's just sort of it's like a very large meal. Yeah, where it's like it's a very right. large good meal that you have no chance of finishing in one in one uh, it, sitting. It, it's like going on the border. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you already have the play of chips, and you think that's oh, I'm I'm already full. No, no, here's like this double, you know, stack of fajitas, right. you know, with all this meat, all this chicken. I'm making this analogy because Corey and I do this whenever we go to <laughs> on the border. We but, get like the chicken and carnitas and. Yeah, you know, it comes... you're married. The, the whole thing is... <laughs> I'm just saying. Sometimes life is like going on the border. But this is this is not a lean, tight movie. It's like, as Matt said, it's like James Gunn decided to shoot the works, you know, and uh, and you know, a bit overindulgent maybe, but it's still, even if that's true, it's still pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. Ve- entertaining throughout. And the heart of the story is, is still solid, really solid. And maybe we should let the we should let you guys know what what's happening in this particular story. Um, Matt, uh, what's the premise? The premise of the story is that Rocket Raccoon is gravely injured, and they can't use medical stuff to save him because there's a kill switch inside him that's proprietarily like encrypted to like not be removable. So the Guardians have to go and get a crazy scavenger hunt to find the data and undo the kill switch so they can save their little raccoon friend. And along the way, he has flashbacks to his creation by the High Evolutionary. Yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty succinct, Matt. Good job. You need to get on this podcast called This Had Oscar Buzz, where they do 60-second plot synopses of whatever movie they cover. You would rock at that. Yeah. I mean, well, he left out some certain details. I mean, well, we know as far as where they... 
we the people who do that podcast obviously listen to this one. So <laughs> if you need a summary guy, hi, hi Chris Reed, hi Chris File, hi Joe Reed. We yeah. love you. Yeah, we love you. Um, but Matt yeah. and Andrew are indifferent to you. They don't listen to you, but we love you. That's true. <laughs> Extreme indifference. But but what Matt but what Matt hit on though, as far as like the central premise, like it's it's the the story of Rocket Raccoon and what how he you know came to be, which is. Uh, you know, they, they they mention it, you know, in the past movies briefly, but, you know, that he's a medical experiment gone, you know, kind of wrong slash right slash kind of sideways um, that he has. He's kind of like kind of a cybernetic experiment. Would we say that? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it, it's done in a way where like, you know, they, they don't have they don't. I think at first they tried to show it that like he's having these flashbacks, but I think the movie kind of dropped that halfway through and it's just, we're just showing you flashbacks, which is fine. Um, And it is, uh, you know, it's kind of gut-wrenching and heartbreaking to see those parts of the movie, you know, and because you're seeing like this, you know, poor little raccoon and his, you know, these other, you know, animal friends uh, that he makes in this uh, facility, you know, he, he grows closer with them, but, you know, like they're gonna meet like a really bad end. Yeah, it's, it's funny that there are hints at the fact that Ro- Rocket is obviously some sort of modified raccoon. Yeah, and that's obviously what he is. Yeah, and he doesn't understand that because he's just been himself this whole time, and all he has is his memories, and so he doesn't even identify himself as a raccoon because he has correct. never heard that word. Before. Yeah, and so you get little hints of it, like in Guardians One, like he's. You could see the sort of weird mechanical ligatures on his back, like for one shot, and but they never explain it until now, and they really did a good job holding back on that, yeah, to present it in a really meaningful way yeah. in this movie, even down to you know just the basic thing of him being able to talk, yeah. that that is like him being meddled with and. It's all, you know, kind of thanks slash no thanks to, um, you know, the, the, the villain of the movie high, called just the High Evolutionary. Uh, Matt, does he actually have a name or is he just High Evolutionary? Edgar Wintum. A- Edgar Wintum? You know, the albino guy. No. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that... I imagine he was created in the 70s, right? 60s. Oh, really? Yeah. So did he predate, like, Edgar Winter be- becoming well, famous? Well, Edgar Winter might have been born by that time. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to ask uh, Jack Kirby or Stan Lee. Or no. But I'm, just, oh, think- but Lee I'm just thinking that, you well, know, in the same Kirby. way that Rocket yeah. Raccoon exists because of the Beatles song. Sure. You know, it's another music reference. But, uh, but yeah, his whole thing, High Evolutionary, is I want to have things be perfect. I want to have the, I'm doing these medical experiments on these animals, you know, and, and oddly enough, we find out in the flashbacks that Rocket actually solved like a technical problem for him so that he could, you know, make these kind of quote peaceful creatures, you know, in evolutionary terms. Here's the cool thing about the high evolutionary. Matt, you were talking to me on the way up here, and you were saying that you had done like a ton of research into his origin. Yeah, just last night. Right. Yeah, Matt was telling us about that and too. And yeah. in this movie, 
none of that is mentioned. Right. I assume that there are lots of different uh, origins and lots of different specifics about who the high evolutionary is, where he came from, what he does, why he does what he does. None of that is in this movie. And it's perfect because the high evolutionary is a good villain, mainly just because of how he acts. You don't need to explain that he's villainous. You just see everything he does, and everything he yeah. does is evil. Yeah, and well, the dan- the danger I was thinking watching this, uh, it occurred to me like, in a way, he's not totally unlike Ego no. from from the last Guardians movie. He's someone who has, you know, he thinks he's God. You know, he he's playing God, and you know, Ego probably you know had a little bit more of a claim to that than I think High Evolutionary does, it's- but. It's but, different though because yeah, but it's di- but it's different enough that it, it it works as its own unique character in this story. Right, I, it's different in this case because all of his sort of his god complex has has very concrete manifestations. It's like he mutilates animals to mm-hmm. to do these experiments on them, and he's tr- constantly manipulate. He's constantly trying to change living creatures into what he calls perfect beings, well, and in his push for that. He just creates and destroys without any real care for yeah, any of the because, things he yeah, and anything, He doesn't care about anything he builds. He just does this basically as a way of feeding his own ego. Yeah, and that ego is basically what makes him so villainous. Mm-hmm. So even when the actor who plays this guy, uh, High Evolutionary, what's his name? Uh, Chuck Woody and Wooji. Yeah, even, like, even when he's sort of chewing the scenery, it's just like, it's just ego all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the reason why he doesn't need a complicated backstory is his is the type of villainy the audience can immediately understand because it's not like our actual society hasn't produced people like this. I mean, people in the audience will have some familiarity with, like, eugenicist thought or, like, social Darwinist thought, or, like, Joseph Mengele and, like, Nazi experiments, so... Well, that's... You have a point, I think he's the type of character the audience can just kind of immediately understand because there's lots of people in our own history who act like this. It's a very intuitive, plausible rationale. By, By the same token, though, you know... Part of the, part of the thing that upsets him so much is the fact that Rocket solves a problem that he could not see him. He comes up with a solution he couldn't see himself. Yeah, and that drives him insane. Yeah, where it's just like he wants to create perfect beings, but the minute he creates something that exceeds his own accomplishments, he is immediately threatened by it, and he his solution is basically just to kill and dissect him. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but that follows the pattern too, where like when he, you know, when suddenly the the creatures that he creates, like, you know, turn out pretty badly or, you know, what, you know, counter earth, which is a big location in this movie that's populated by this like kind of alternate society a la, I almost love Planet of the Apes for a minute. Like, but in like. More like Planet of the Furries, really. (laughs) They looked like. But that, but that world was like, it's not working out and he just destroys it. If anyone watched the show Sweet Tooth, they look like that. The Uh, people on Counter-Earth look like adult versions of the child, um, 
human animal hybrids uh, in Sweet Tooth, yeah. which I haven't watched season two yet, so I'm only going mm-hmm. in with season one knowledge. Yeah. But. but it's like it's not even like the society on Counter Earth was that bad. It just had all the same problems that Earth does. Yeah. It has back alley drug deals and it has people beating each other up. It's not like a cesspool. It's not, you know, there's nothing on Counter Earth that you wouldn't see on regular Earth. It's no. just that he's like, all right, it's ruined. Let's destroy it and move on. Yeah. And spoiler zone. <laughs> well, are we into spoilers really? Jack we're, we're... will just, Jack, you could just put like a thing on the podcast when we upload it that like it's spoilers all the way down. Hold. Flying purple, dude. I am called the High Evolutionary. Leave my people in peace. You're the aggressors here, not they. They attacked us. What else could these simple creatures do? Aggressive. Spoilers all the way down, guys. We're we're uh we're rock. We are we are spoilers. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. with that in mind, um. But yeah, I, I like this film a lot. Like I I think if I had one little criticism of the performance, I, and I like Chukwuji Awuji like quite a bit. I think he brings this like intensity and this uh especially when they show him in close up, like just his eyes, he's just like this kind of insane, demented kind of presence on screen. He gets like a little bit too just screamy in the last half hour. He's kind of just like yelling all of his lines. But if that that's like, it's a nitpick. It's not like a big problem. It makes sense in the last Tower of Power where everything is going wrong for him. That he starts to lose it. But, yeah. <laughs> I basically, sure. He's made his own terrible decisions. Yeah. And refuses to acknowledge that he's just done everything wrong. Yeah. And that's part of the problem why he's so evil. He, he, he doesn't really care about a lot of things so when things just go wrong he's just like why is everybody failing yeah and, and then like even his own like his his own team like turn on him eventually because it's just like you're not you're we're the ship's going down yeah you know at that level um other th- other stuff in the movie though to talk about i mean we haven't even touched on a lot of the guardians characters that are still you know they're still awesome <laughs> yeah i really liked uh Karen Gillan and Zoe Saldana in this. They worked really strongly. Of course, they, they did in the earlier movies, but... Uh, yeah. Like the evolution well, of well, yeah, well, I think it's an interesting thing, too, with Saldana and Gamora, because, you know, that's the type of thing that you... The, that she's... Her character's been reset mm-hmm. because she's no longer... You know, she's the Gamora that came about from Endgame. You know, the one that we knew in the other movies died in Infinity War, and that was that. But so that means you're kind of dealing with a character who is, you know, a lot more irritable mm-hmm. in a lot of, in especially in the first half of the movie. But I think she plays that pretty convincingly. Like she's not annoying with it. Like she finds a way to make it like work with her dynamic with Quill and uh, and Chris Pratt. Yeah, but it's good it can... because in the first movie, Gamora is the most boring character because her character arc happens off screen before the movie starts. And huh. You don't really get like, a sense of how she reformed to be an anti-Thanos person. Whereas this, it's, she's reset to like, a midpoint between the two where you can see how wild and violent she was and get a sense of how she yeah. would have been before she decided 
turn on her. Yeah, she's, ha- she's happy to be a Ravager. Yeah, this is this is part of an issue that actually we've discussed with uh, Volume Two, where in that movie so many characters are doing lots of interesting things except Gamora, where she has to do where like in Guardians Two, what was her arc or what was her story? Um, you can't think of it because she didn't really have one. She was there to kind of. Talk to some sense into Peter Quill. She, she had a, she, she had a thing with her sister though. A little, yeah, but it huh. it, it didn't end up being a mm. big part of the movie. Mm. It's it, uh, it, it bad. Yeah, I always thought Gamora in the first two movies was the one character that was like a bit of a dud compared to the rest yeah. of the Guardians because I kind of feel like. Everything she does in the movie or every role she fit, other characters do better. Like, I like Nebula much better filling the kind of, like, cold, brusque action lady role. Yeah. And I actually don't like Gamora and Peter Quill's relationship. I think it's tedious, generic, boring. You've seen this a million times. Oh, we bicker, but secretly we love each other. But... Drax and Mantis do that much better than Peter and Gamora to me. So in the third movie, I thought this was definitely the best of Gamora. She would still be my least favorite of the Guardians, and I think she's the one that you can kind of cut out really without losing a lot. I still think she's the weakest character, but I do think this version of her is the best version of the character. Yeah, and that's that's the whole point. It's like she ha- they have to take another completely different approach to her yeah. character this time because she's just not the same yeah. person. And it even and it's almost down to like Quill is annoyed that she doesn't have her memories. So yeah. he has to kind of start from scratch and, with her. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, I enjoyed uh, Quill and Gamora in the other movies a little more, more for the performances. I think it's like the kind of thing with, uh, you know, like again, a Star Wars, you know, Han Solo Leia thing where that's also, you know, that can also be a bit tedious in those original movies, but you enjoy the actors so much. But in that ensemble, Gamora always had to be like the adult in the room. Yeah, the buzzkill. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody else is doing their sort of wacky thing in a very yeah. interesting way, and she just has to be. More or less play her character straight. Sure. There's nothing really about her character that's odd. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's just this warrior who can fight. And, you know, she the only thing that really defines her in the group is that she's Peter Quill's love interest. But even then, she really doesn't seem to reciprocate to the same level as he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, there's, and they don't seem to have the same level of maturity. So, which is mm-hmm. why, you know, Corey, you have a really good point. Their, their relationship is not very interesting. No, and so and this made her much more interesting. Where yeah. you know she like all that's wiped off the table, and, and she gets to just do more as like kind of a heroic character in a uh, lot and, of key and moments. Has, and she has an arc. Yeah, know? she has an arc. Yeah, she she stops. She 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 starts off cold. She eventually warms up to the to these people as if you know she's never met them before, and now they yeah. have a relationship mm-hmm. based on mutual respect. Yeah. You know, she sees Quill's baby, you know, child picture, and it's like, hey, he had a family. Yeah, <laughs> but I also think they did a good job with evolving her character, but not to the point where she just became a clone right. of yeah. the dead Gamora. Like, I actually really like, 
at the end of the movie, she's hanging out with the Ravagers again. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are differences. She's not just back to square one. No. Yeah. So you're that, this was great. the best treatment. We've of still the had progress. Mm -hmm. And uh, some other, there are a couple other new characters we haven't touched on yet. Like one of the ones that I think some comic book people were, I don't necessarily mean you, Matt. I mean other people on the interwebs. Uh, we're, we're talking making... about bad comic book people, not good. <laughs> like the people who like, you know, live in the, you know, in the crawl space and come out once a year for free comic book day. That's also not us. But, um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, no, well, all right. Adam Warlock. Oh, that yeah. was a character who has been like, I didn't really know much about him, frankly, before seeing this. I knew, I knew the name. I knew he, and then I asked Matt, like, who is Adam Warlock? And you basically summed him up, Space Jesus. Yes, tell us more about Adam <laughs> Which, Warlock. And the movie, I'll, we'll get to this, the movie even, it, <laughs> I, I, I had to laugh, I laughed out loud at like a moment where they finally just said, yeah, of course he's Space Jesus. <laughs> Look at this image on the screen. <laughs> well, tell us more, Matt, give us some context. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically his deal. Like he was created as an artificial dude, and then he goes to Counter Earth, and they do like a whole like Jesus like thing with him, and then he does the Infinity Watch, and he's just kind of there doing cosmicy stuff. And... Yeah, he even has way to go, Matt. You really shine a little. I was gonna say I could <laughs> give us more. Why? I mean, well, well are you saying in the comics or in this movie? No, I, I don't particularly care about Adam Warlock, so that's... No, but I... But you did all this research no. on the high evolutionary, and now you're just like Adam Warlock, whatever. <laughs> Why don't you know all the things? I mean, like... Well, what else do you need Death to know about Adam Warlock? <laughs> I don't need to well, know more. I was just... Space Jesus, Jesus, what, what, what like, specifically is he doing? Man. He's on Counter-Earth, and he's come to, like redeem the people or something and there's another character called man beast who is basically space satan who's like a failed creation uh, of high evolutionary and there's like a whole so, lot of theosophical stuff going on and he keeps dying getting resurrected uh, and he, who resurrects him i don't remember like, <laughs> he so, stuff going on with thanos and yeah, so, he forms the infinity watch and he's got an evil twin named the, magus the infinity and, watch yes why <laughs> haven't we seen the infinity watch yet i know i don't know it's maybe they're selling it on qvc <laughs> but all right so the point is what they do with them in the movie is marginally more interesting than what they did in the comics yeah unless you're like a diehard adam warlock fan and it's going to piss you off but if you have zero interest in adam warlock no. it's amusing yeah, and even in that in this context, I thought he managed to have like an arc. And yet, you could almost write him out of the entire movie. Almost. almost yeah. I mean, the way he justifies himself is that he's humorous, and he and, he, and he, whenever he does things, it's actually fun to watch him on screen. But from a writing standpoint. There's really no reason he has to be in this movie. No, because they've been teasing him for multiple movies, so they finally had to pay that off. They didn't really have to. Well, they wanted Were they to teasing him? Yeah, though? they kept showing his cocoon in the, the earlier installment. Oh. We could have just had another end credit scene now where it's like, yep, still in the cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, he saved Peter Quill's life, although you could have but had another Guardian. You didn't have to have that. that at the end. Yes. You, you could have had another Guardian. That's, yeah. that's why they, how they justify it. They were able to squeeze him in 
strategically. Okay. And at the end, they gave him a reason to, to be in the movie. That's another thing I want to talk about. The a main flaw of the Guardians movies is that they go backwards with Peter Quill's technology. In the first movie, he's got the space helmet and jet boots. In the second movie, he's got the helmet but no jet boots. He's got to rely on the jet pack, which they only have like a finite supply and they keep shifting around to this. And then in the third movie, he's got no cool space helmet, even though he's wearing the Annihilation uniform that the yeah. space helmet goes with. And he's got no jet boots and no jet pack. And by having neither the, the, the helmet or any propulsion system, mm. he's freezing to death in space and needs someone to rescue him. In the very first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, he had a space helmet and he had jet boots. Yes. Yeah, that Both is odd that he didn't have that in the climax. In the climax of exactly. the Exactly. Well, I... Believe he lost them somewhere well, along the way. They're so useful. Why would you not replace them? And it's not like it's a big deal, but it's just well, like you know they took the writers took those away, yeah, so we could well, have this scene. Well, you end. could also say like the the thing I noticed in that big climactic moment was more that like you know it's like he's about to jump off. He's like, oh wait, I well I dropped my. My MP3 player thing. Zoom. But your Zoom. Get another fucking Zoom. Yeah. Like you're you're not at the point now where you were in the first movie where you thought like all my audio comes from a cassette player. You can get another thing like that. That was the moment where I was like, oh, now we're doing this. Yeah. But um. I mean, you could have still had like that gear with him and just had it be damaged. So at the end, he couldn't use it to not be oh. being an idiot. Like, oh, I'm gonna go on this mission without my really extremely useful gear that I've had the past two movies. Yeah, mm. I didn't right. think of that, but that is that. It's a good point. I don't know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? I mean, one thing about this movie that I think why I I enjoyed this movie so much is just. The the deftness, the the really just cool ability that James Gunn has of managing to shift tones and it feels organic to the like the story that's being told. Like we, we talked about this a bit with uh with Thor Love and Thunder, which also had the Guardians, by the way, but like that movie had a lot of very dark material. That was pretty interesting, but then it clashed with the extremely jokey, um, you know, Thor shenanigans. You know that sometimes it clashed with the very bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Well, I guess that's what I mean. Is that it's it? You need to walk a very fine line to be able, to, you know, in the writing to be able to pull things off like that. Yes. Thor and Love and Thunder didn't do that. James Gunn. Uh, in all three of these movies uh, has walked that line. And I think has actually even, I think the ambition that you talked about, Andrew is there in this movie in the sense of we're going to have you feel like, you know, your, your heart, you're kind of clutching your heart as rocket, you know, little rocket sitting around with his animal friends, you know, talking. And then the next scene, you know, Drax makes like a dumb joke, but it doesn't feel off going from one moment to the next he's able to kind of and then and then he has like a big set piece like set to the beastie boys and that works too right yeah you're right this is you actually said to me this is like a much better version of 
Thor 11 Thunder because that movie totally botches well, the transition from like drama to comedy. This movie does yeah. it right. Well, when I said that, I actually whispered that to you in the theater specifically because this also involves a climax involving saving a bunch of children, yeah. which is kind of a funny coincidence. But and it made sense because it's just like, yeah, High Evolutionary has a whole bunch of children he's designed. Yeah. He's going to repopulate another world with them. And you know that down the road he's just going to discard them like... Yeah. Like he did everything else. Yes, and even there, like Gene, and then and there's even like a good scene that you know makes the children feel like actual beings, and you know, yeah, they are plot devices, but you know, there's that moment where um, Nebula and uh, uh, you know and, and Drax have their different skills, you know, yeah. kind of tested talking with the kids, and that's. You know, it's a genuinely sweet little moment where you actually get to see, you know, a, a little bit more of the heart of Drax yeah. as well. I mean, part of Drax's character has always been that he was a father. Mm. Yeah. Like in Guardians 1, he's trying to get revenge for his family. He talks very. He talks about his family in Guardians 2 where he meets Mantis. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that they actually haven't brought his daughter back because she's an important part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? Yes, like she, in the comics? In the comics, yes. She's an important character that they... Is a member of the team. How oh. do they bring her back? And well, the... she just has never died. Well, I mean, she dies periodically, but they resurrect her. You know, that's oh, sure. comic things. But she never like really died permanently per se. Yeah. I don't know. I think it would feel kind of weird to bring her back in the context of the movies. Well, he could just say, "Oh, well, it no was a mistake. I didn't die. He well, just thought I died. No, or something." Well, I guess but, there's also just so many characters already but, too. Listen, yeah. only one person is dead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe: Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks. Uh, that yeah. you're right. That's the one character that's not coming back. Um, but no, I I think it would feel weird to bring Drax's daughter back. Well, no one personally. ever said they were going to. But, yeah. But did they yeah. ever introduce her? No. No, because she dies no, on screen before exactly. that. Well, that's what I mean. But the, we're kind of talking about nothing. At the end of this movie, <laughs> they, they introduce her girlfriend. Uh, do they? Yeah, Philavel. What? Oh, okay. Who are you talking the, the about? Little, the little white-haired girl, they say her name is Phyla at the end. Okay. Oh. And Phyla is the girlfriend of Moondrag. Okay. This is why we bring you here. <laughs> this is the kind of information we're looking for. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. We come to this place for magic. <laughs> Matt-jick. Yes. I can that, go through. Corey? Oh, yeah. You win the podcast. I do. Because I can Sure, give it to your wife. <laughs> Yeah. You're just right. jealous that you didn't think of magic. I'm jealous I didn't marry Jack. Yeah. <laughs> but, I understandably yeah. so. But the, yeah, it, these movies, though, like, even the tone sometimes within a scene will be so incredible. Like, there's that part where um, Mantis and uh, and uh, Drax and, you know, a couple of the others are on, the sh- you know, they're on, like, the enemy ship and suddenly these giant monsters with these big sharp teeth come out. And it's, you know, very horrific. Like, James yeah. Gunn, you know, knows how to lay on, in you know, since the beginning of these movies, but especially in this, to have extremely horrific look-designed characters that, you know, will be in children's, you know, nightmares for years. But then in that scene, you know, you suddenly realize, well, wait a minute, Mantis can, is she going to use her power to maybe calm them down? And she does. 
And it's very sweet. They looked great. Like, that creature yeah. design, they looked practical. They didn't even look like CGI. Yeah, it's uh, the monster from the beginning of the second movie. The absolute. So. Yeah. Oh, that was. Oh, I, for, I forgot about that. I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that because I will just take a moment to be like, I heart Mantis, as always. I love yeah. that character so much. She's so amazing. She's great. She's great in the second movie. She's great in this movie. She's great in the holiday special. Mantis for president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like this. Mantis romantis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And she gets to use also her powers in a in a great like set piece where they're in. Oh, the other thing, too, when they're on that other um what they call that, like, membrane ship, the organism thing? I now forget. Orgo, yeah. Orgo. Yeah, they're on the, this ship, Orgo, to try to get, you know, at plans, you know, not the plans, like the, the chip for rocket and whatever. And they're in a moment of peril. They're about to, you know, get, you know, shot. And she somehow gets her way to a few different people and tells them, you're dancing. And you see, like, this, like, guard, like, dancing around. And then... You're shooting! And then, like, she just gets to, like, kill a bunch of people without having to pull a trigger. It's so fun. She also, apparently, we only see her do it once in the movie, but apparently it's something she does regularly. She makes people fall in love with Drax. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, she does it once, and it's funny in the movie, and then the dialogue suggests she does this, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was fun. That is fun. Yeah, but she just always, yeah, She. it's nice to have a character in this group that's just kind of full of this, like... She's different and you understand why she's there. She has, like, a childlike sensibility, but she's also really wise Yeah. in some ways. Well, she, she understands, she's emotionally competent. That's her yes. superpower, emotions. Yeah. My yeah. superpower is drinking, <laughs> making noises. <laughs> Matt, Corrupting. you are no, no longer drinking the liquid. <laughs> I just tried to reach out my hand like Mantis to. All right, all right. You, uh, have, you have some Mantis energy to you. Oh, thank you. Well, you yes. do too. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what else? Eat their spouses. <laughs> Only under stress conditions in nature they don't do that. So yeah, much. but the husbands don't eat the wives, right? So it's just the wives eat the husbands. We'll see. Now we're getting into Mantis logic, and that's off track of the movie. I guess my point earlier about the the tone shifting is because the writing is just, you know, you're always engaged with it. Even if you feel like this is getting long, it's never boring. Uh, Yeah. Uh, It's never really boring. No. I want to point out something that I think is really interesting. Throughout the movie, we have flashbacks to Rocket's past. Now... When Peter and his friends retrieve Rocket's file from the Orgo headquarters, they see basically what uh, what the High Evolutionary has done to him in terms of uh, experiments and surgeries he's done. Yes. They know nothing of his friendship with the other animals in his group. Hmm. Correct. And... Really, that's sort of the meat of Rocket's backstory. They, you know, the Guardians, they realize, you know, Rocket's been mistreated by the High Evolutionary, but they don't understand the great wound that he gives, that he's given Rocket. Yeah. Basically killing all of his friends. And, well, even specifically shooting, like, 
his close otter friend Lila, uh, voiced by Linda Carlini, by the yeah. way. Yeah, like, he was going to kill them all along. But with the moment he does it is when, you know, is the, the great pain that Rocket carries around with him. The, the fact that he wasn't able to save all them. Yeah. The fact that he trusted... Uh, the high evolutionary for so long, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he escaped and they didn't. Yeah. The other guardians know nothing of that. Okay. Maybe later on he tells them, but we have no indication of that. And I find that very interesting. Hmm. Where it's just like the guardians get a rough outline of, of, of rockets past. They don't get the real details. Well, I think that's also what separates someone like him from, like, to give another Marvel movie that just, you know, popped in my head when you think about, like, uh, Black Widow. Yeah. And, you know, she was also, you know, mistreated, you know, mistreated and, and, you know, kind of experimented on more like mind control, like, and made into like, a, you know, into the, sol- you know, the yeah. so- soldier she was. But we never got a sense of did she have any kind of connections in you know her time when she was uh, doing you know doing this and that that it helps to give him a lot more pathos and it also connects I think to you know like a lot of what these movies have been about and I think James Gunn has been really concerned with in telling these stories which is what are like the psychic wounds that get inflicted on people what you know like in the second movie that was you know peter quill and his and his father um you know it's, it's also been gamora first of Thanos. all the fact that he's missed a father this whole time the second he'll find out his father kidnapped him and basically killed his mom yeah. yes and yeah. and now though it's also well rocket also had this kind of story with him too the, these characters have all had that and it also adds to just what Rocket's, you know, growth has, what what it becomes by the end of this movie where he is a leader. Yeah. Everyone has a bad dad except Drax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Drax is the only one. Didn't someone else say about Drax he's the only character who doesn't hate himself? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing with him is, like, he's just a dad without a family anymore. Yeah. And he gets that at the end of this film. Yeah. Which is a great ending for him. It is. And we'll see if Dave Batista comes back for more of these because he doesn't seem to like being this character. Well, we'll see how the money flows. Well, that's what we were saying that Dave Batista's given these interviews where he's like, I'm over it. I don't want to play Drax anymore. I'm sick of this character. And we were like, he says that now until like 10 years from now, they back the Brinks truck like full of money. Yeah. But, but the funny thing is, it's, it's like, you know, he's not a bad actor. At no, all. he's really good. It's just like, he, he's... Uh, maybe he thinks, like, this is just like, I'm a joke machine. Or something uh, like that. Maybe. That's, but, you know, when you when you play the same character over several years, you're da- you're bound to get some fatigue. I mean, you know. He probably does not enjoy the prosthetics process. No, probably not. Uh, but the thing is, it's just like, that character is way better than anybody really expected it to. Like, even in Guardians 1, like, that movie, I find it to be, you know, okay and not particularly great, but it's just like, He's one of the best parts of that movie. You know, he he, he t- takes that character and does more than you expect. Mm-hmm. And throughout the films, he's done so much. Like, even in the Avengers movies. Yeah. Where it's like, like some of the most memorable parts are like, basically the jokes he tells. Yeah. I've perfected the art of moving so slowly <laughs> that I'm practically invisible. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, <laughs> yeah. But I guess my earlier point, though, about getting back to what you said, also, like die blanket. Of yeah. Um, I guess though, like in terms of why we we get to see Rocket with his friends, but and like the other characters don't know about that. I think it's also the fact again, Rocket, you know, has his own journey to go on. Like they, you know, there we he has to, you know, he he's gone through so much that when it finally gets to, you know, him, you know, he he comes across the animals yeah. when he's on that ship at the end, and you know, and Prequel's like, well, we got everybody off, and Rocket's like, no, we didn't, yeah. and they get, you know, it's like Noah's Ark. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna give James Gunn props for this. He introduces a psychokinetic dog. <laughs> and he delivers on the promise of the psychokinetic dog. Yes. The, the dog was not needless. No, no. The, the psychic dog was a pivotal part of the movie. Yeah. She was a good dog. Yeah, She's well. a very good dog. Yeah. I even, like, why, if, again, it might feel overstuffed is I think James Gunn wanted to give every, like, almost every character, like, a moment or something to do. Like, even uh, Sean Gunn. Even he had like, like a kind of a journey to go on, which was mastering the uh, what do they call what what do they call the arrow. Just Yandu's arrow. Yeah, just Yandu's arrow. Yeah, he he had to master using that, and, and he had to be out of the picture for most of the running time for him to do it. <laughs> well, he didn't. To be fair, there was enough going on, and all he had to do was you know, yeah, mind the store, so to speak. Yeah. The, the, mind nowhere. But you know, all that said. James got to handle that right. He did. Yeah. He, he wanted he to give his... He doesn't have to be on all the time, but, you know, he was there in the, in the important moments. Mm-hmm. He was also there doing the rocket mocap. Ah. <laughs> uh, wait, did... Was, I thought he did group. No, he didn't do group. Oh, okay. I he thought he did group Somebody before. else did group. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad James Gunn got to make this movie, because for a while he was fired. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. That was... You're right, though. So long ago, you almost forget, but... Yeah, he he was like yeah he wrote the script and then he was fun. I didn't think he I always thought he would come back at some point. But I remember when they fired him, I said to you, "I will not see Guardians of the Galaxy three in the movie theater to punish the studio because obviously they would miss my <laughs> they would miss my like." Well, since I have the AMC A list, it's not even like I'm paying for individual tickets. Yeah. They would miss my twelve bucks well, that much. Yeah. Well, he's a good example though of somebody who you thought for a moment, oh no, he's canceled, and then he, you know, he apologized, and then it's like, yeah, come back. Yeah. Because it wasn't a big deal. It's so easy. Yeah. Just yeah. Well, in his case, also because he's probably he's probably a genuine dude. And we got the Suicide Squad out of it, so... Yeah, we got to have our cake and eat it, too. We got, you know, we got Num Num and we got Groot. <laughs> and... Yeah, even I even like Sylvester Stallone in the movie and the little bit he had here. Yeah. He was adequate. Yeah. I like that he keeps bringing back Lloyd Kaufman, just because. <laughs> I gotta put Lloyd in there somewhere. Yeah. Howard the Duck was in this. Yeah, let's have more Howard the Duck, I I guess. Matt, how would you feel about that as our resident Howard the Duck enthusiast? I enjoy Howard the Duck showing up whenever. Yes. I think. Yeah. He has a good moment in the, the What If cartoon. I still need to watch that one. I haven't seen that part yet. All right. Well, I won't yeah. spoil it. 
Yeah. Are there other things we want to talk about with this movie we haven't gotten to yet? I mean, the soundtrack is still all killer, no filler. Yeah. They use the soundtrack in surprising and touching ways throughout, as usual. Yep. I mean, the last song is really good. It's very fitting. They put a button on it. I teared up a little bit. Yeah. 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 That was very, like, I, I choked up again. I cried multiple times during this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Emotional movie, I'll give it that. Yeah. 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 I like that James Gunn is so into feelings. Like, it's funny, I feel like he, when he first came on the scene, he was treated um, by the press almost as like an edgelord type, but really, he's such a big softie. Well, that was part of the reason why his tweets got him in trouble. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if the press... Qual- uh, called him an edgelord. You know, he had earned the reputation, basically. Yeah. And he played it, and he played that part rather well, but it's like, he's grown beyond that. Yeah, I I like how into feelings he is. He's a person who has depth. Yeah. Yeah, so... And his work has depth. So, good for him. Big feelings. Um, mm-hmm. As a fan of big feelings, I'm yeah. a fan of James Gunn. Yeah. He, he has, uh, yeah, he has, he's a fan of big feelings and of having... Completely gratuitous, grotesque violence, and you know, set pieces put to Beastie Boys songs, which you know, it's like you'd think, like, uh, you know, a little part of me at first was like, uh, should we really do this? And then he got into it, and it's like, no, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, a very fitting swan song to his part of the MCU. Now he's you know doing the DC thing. Yeah, I. I yeah, it was a fitting farewell. It's it's the rare big blockbuster that feels like it's about something or maybe about many things. I'm sure that it will get poured over by a lot of, you know, critics, but it's just, you know, it's just so much fun. Yeah. In the first movie, when they have the Nova Corps scanning everybody and giving little dossiers on screen, they say that one of Rocket's associates is Lila, but how would they know about that? Uh, oh, I didn't even remember that. And it's funny, I just wa- rewatched that movie. You pause when they had it up on the screen, that's why. Hmm. But the hmm. Maybe at that point he didn't they didn't know where they were gonna take the Lila thing. Probably and they not, just yeah. like you know, I mean yeah, because you would think like Ly- was Lila like a like a character in the comics? Yes. Yeah. Oh she She's was a girlfriend. Oh. Okay. Well that actually raises well, a kind of first girlfriend. This kind of raises a world-building question, actually. How known or unknown were the high evolutionary's activities? Was he doing all this stuff on the sly? Well, they said that all of his experiments were outside... Well, he did a lot of experiments that were outside of galactic law. But he did have the companies that he was using to fund his other experiments. So he was both had a corporate, like... Reputation and a secret reputation. Mm. Okay. It's like if you owned Microsoft and the and the Boston mob at the same time. <laughs> yeah. No, he's uh yeah. He has kind of big Q energy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's saying is that. Bloodthirsty monster. Exactly. Do you, mean, do you mean the Q from James Bond or the Q from Star Trek? No, I mean like Q is in QAnon. Oh. It's like he's like one of these government officials who's really like Doing all of like the the crazy cult shit. <laughs> so no, like, I meant no, I meant Q the winged serpent. <laughs> <laughs> Something I forgot. What? It, What's 
one more thing. They didn't kill the high evolutionary at the end of the film. Well, no, but his spaceship kind of like falls. No, he, he's it, dead. So he's no, dead. but it's just like he made a po- they made a point of being like, no, I'm not going to kill him. But we so don't have to save him. No, but they didn't say that. No, but it's implied. I assume he's dead. Blowing up with his spaceship, like it's implied by what they say that they've taken him off the ship and he's still alive. No, I don't think so. I think so. No, I think you're wrong. I think. I think think he's dead. I think they just left him to go down the ship. Yeah, I don't think so. That's not what they implied by saying what they did in the script. It is. I think it is kind of oh, dumb. Pointed at, you pointed at me, and when you started that sentence, I thought you were going to say, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's kind of dumb that they did the whole, um, no, real heroes don't kill the genocidal maniacs who've been wreaking <laughs> untold havoc on the galaxy. As you know, but it's like, like... But that's, like, then if they killed him, then that's just... It's that, dumb that it's they a, said that, and then they just let him die afterwards, but... They spent a lot of time showing us them evacuating people. If they wanted us to think he was alive, they would have shown us them evacuating him because. But they that's spent why a I'm lot pointing it out because it's just like, from what they say and do, it's implied that they don't kill him and don't abandon him. But they never show him after the ship blows up. Mm. It's a weird little thing. Maybe it's an editing mistake. No, they just wanted him to suffer, but they didn't want to stick around to witness it because the ship is going exploding. That's true. It still doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, like they could have easily killed him with just like one shot, and then they wouldn't have had him like on the ground. Well, it would have, you know. Well, now he can come back in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Four: The Revenge. All right, so <laughs> all right, wrapping it up. So, yeah. final thoughts. I love this movie. I, I I can't wait to see it again. It was really good. Go see it. It's it, it's a whole lot of fun. It's overstuffed. There's a lot of things in there, and you know it, it, it aims to please. Like there are so many big boisterous action movies you can watch. This one actually has emotional content. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to feel something and still get that awesome action, then this is the, your best way. Go for it. And Matt, I like this blockbuster because it was like the Dungeons and Dragons movie in space, but with lots of adorable animals. Even though the High Evolutionary doesn't wear his iconic Jack Kirby anti-werewolf armor. <laughs> uh, now, 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 you've, now you've opened up even more questions that I'll ask off mic. So, um, well, that's well, where we got to end it. Yeah, we got to end it. We don't want to. We don't want to be overstuffed as the movie. So. If you have thoughts, please visit us at the Wages of Cinema on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Um, Matt, where can you be found? I can be found at matt.catania.wordpress.com. Until next time, uh, I am Jack. I am Trash Panda Corey. I'm Andrew. And this was Matt. Yeah, and the Wages of Cinema is family. Hugs. All right, good night. All right.